Sandy Zimmerman was a national judo champion by the time she was 12 years old. She later went on to play Division I college basketball. Then in her 40s, she was the first mom to ever complete the American Ninja Warrior course and hit the buzzer. She did all of this in the face of abuse and neglect and massive injury and setbacks. But she never let it stop her dream. She believes in dreaming big and giving your dream time to develop. Welcome to the Socks and Soul podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Ditto. Thanks for joining us. Let's go. Welcome, my guest in studio today, Sandy Zimmerman. Thank you for being here today, Sandy. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, excited to connect with you. I knew you were a really good guy the moment we worked on that Oakley project together. So um, excited <laughs> to be here with you. So I got I got a call from Lana Smith, who's the executive director of the Wishing Star Foundation. And she says, we've got this little girl. Her name is Oakley. And she loves American Ninja Warrior. Have you ever watched that show? And I have watched it a little bit here and there. Um, not a, not a, unfortunately not like a diehard fan, but you are um, now going oh, to be a diehard right fan, I right? <laughs> I can't wait till September when we get season 12, I'm going to be glued to it. I've already sold your kids on the idea. So I really think that's going to happen in this house now. <laughs> we are totally, we are all in. It's going to be must see TV for us. So, so Lana says to me, Hey, um, uh, Oakley's wish is to have an American Ninja Warrior course in her backyard. And we have a ninja warrior here in Spokane. I don't know if you knew that. And I said, I had no idea. And her name is Sandy and she lives up on the South Hill. And, uh, and I have this phone, this video call that I want you to, to edit and put together so that we can start pushing Oakley's wish. And so that, that's, that begun my research project on <laughs> who is Sandy Zimmerman. And, uh, and I had no idea we had this remarkable celebrity world-class oh, athlete right here in our own neighborhood. <laughs> so, um, so we've done a couple of video projects together. Oakley's wish obviously uh, was done the other weekend mm -hmm. and you were there. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, what that meant to you in the midst of, you know, as we get into your story, but why was that such an important thing for you? Yeah. You know, well, first of all, you meet Oakley and you immediately fall in love with this little girl. Yeah. And then hearing that she's a huge American Ninja Warrior fan and I'm one of her favorites and, um, hearing what she is fighting. I mean, she's in the fight of her life right now, fighting uh, liver and lung disease yeah. and how her immune system is compromised and she couldn't get um, to a ninja gym and train. So her only option to fulfill this dream of doing American Ninja Warrior would to have it built in her backyard. Not to mention it's compounded oh. during COVID. Yes. I mean, well, she's got a compromised immune system and the whole deal. Yeah. And, you know, for us, it kind of puts things in perspective. I mean, we've been at this whole pandemic five, six months. I mean, that is her reality her entire life. Like she doesn't know anything oh, different. She's yeah. worn a mask her entire life. And um, so I guess for me, I just feel like we have a responsibility to each other. You know, if we have some way to help another human being out, um, if we have the knowledge, the resources, the gifts, the talents, whatever, if we can use it to do good, um, then do it. And um, what I've quickly discovered, though, in um, stepping up and helping Oakley, um, it really helped me. It helped my family through this pandemic in a weird, crazy way. You get out of your own head and you're out there helping another person and you're connecting. And I guess, you know, I think that's a huge part of this is we're missing the connection piece in this pandemic. 
put yourself out there, help somebody else. What can you do for somebody else? Get out of your own head. And I think we could have easily gone into some dark places through all of this because that's what isolation does. And this really was something we thought we were doing in service to Oakley, but in fact, it really was a huge uplift for me, for my family, for the people that were involved in doing this. So it's crazy how life can do that for you. That's a great lesson. You know, you, you want to feel good about yourself. What society would tell you is take care of you, do Mm -hmm. something for you. But the great lesson that you learned there was, wow, my family was brought together for a great purpose. We blessed somebody else's life. And in the process, we became better people. Absolutely. When you're serving other people, you know, you end up, you end up doing more good for you than maybe the other person even received. Yeah. Awesome. Very cool. (laughs) You, you have a, you have both a heartbreaking and remarkably inspiring story, Sandy. Um, I told you over the phone uh, last time we spoke about, you know, I, I have this kind of fairy tale upbringing. I have parents who loved me. I have siblings who I adored that I'm very close with. Um, and, and so me being a normal contributing member of society is, you know, is is, is way things should be. You, on the other hand, you tick every box of somebody who should be dysfunctional in a meth house, maybe in jail or not here at all. And yet here you are, you know, climbing to the pinnacle of athleticism, uh, living an American dream like few have done. Um, this podcast is all about inspiring people to do something great with their lives, to live their dreams You know, it's called socks and soul because these ideas that we have come from humble beginnings. We're in our socks, as it were. Yeah. So take us way back to your childhood and give us a glimpse of what the life was like for Sandy Zimmerman uh, as a youngster. And let's build this journey and, and figure out how you became such a dreamer and how you were able to to put your soul into something so great. Yeah, I think that it really has to start with the people in my life and the ones that um, came into my life and saw potential and um, saw that this little girl uh, needs us. And uh, they invested in me, whether it was their time, their energy, their kindness, their love, um, their resources into saying, this girl's got potential. How can we? And so I guess uh, that's probably part of the reason that I have continued that. It's kind of like pay it forward. Here are these incredible people that saw, um, you know, this little girl that um, grew up poor and on welfare and spent time in the foster care system. And but they saw potential. Who were these people? Um, you know, teachers, coaches, my sensei, my Sunday school teachers, people that just said, let's invest. Maybe we can change this little girl's life. And um so <laughs> it's emotional because I, uh, um, you don't know it at the time, um, but those little things too, not necessarily really big things that can absolutely, those moments that can change a person's life because statistically, honestly, I shouldn't be here. Right. Um, you know, it was funny, a couple, oh, about three years ago, I'm sitting in a training as a teacher. Because you're a you're a I'm an elementary, teacher. yep, physical education teacher, and yeah. I do health classes. You talk about paying it forward. You picked a career <laughs> that would inspire youngsters, you know, mm-hmm. as an opportunity to, you know, pick off ones that you saw needed it the most. Absolutely. 
And um, those are the kids that I connect to the most. I'm sure. <laughs> I connect to those ones the most for sure. Um, but I'm sitting in a training as a teacher and we're going over what's called ACEs. It's mm -hmm. Adverse Childhood Experiences. And so they have uh, 10 questions, 10 categories that they ask. And with each one, um, a child's um, odds of making it basically are less and less. And if you get to three or four, pretty much the odds are you're not going to, this kid's not going to make it. Right. And so in this workshop, I'm sitting there as a teacher and I'm excited because I thought this is why I went into teaching. I mean, I am passionate about health and fitness, but the reason I went into teaching is to change kids' lives. Yeah. What if I can provide that one moment, that one interaction, that one relationship that changes the tra trajectory of their lives? Mm -hmm. And that's why I went into teaching. So I'm in this workshop. And honestly, most of the time, workshops are really boring for me. <laughs> I hate sitting still. Like, really? this is you all like I can still. do. <laughs> the lady with the biggest jungle gym in human history in the backyard hates sitting still. <laughs> I, I'm the teacher in the back, like, moving around and sitting and getting up and, and that. So, but this one had my attention. I thought, this is my passion. This is my why. This is my purpose. What is it? What are these characteristics that we're looking for? And how can we reach those kids and help them defy the odds like I did? Mm -hmm. And so I'm sitting in there and they go through the first three and it's like kids that have, you know, had physical abuse, um, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. And I'm like, well, check, check, check. I yeah. have the first three. So right. the odds are already stacked against me. Yeah. All right. What are the next one? Um, emotional ne neglect, physical neglect. And I thought, holy crap. Check, check. I have five already. Okay. What are the last five? And I'm in there as a teacher thinking, oh, but, but going through this, okay, what's the last five? And then it talked about, um, has someone in your family been incarcerated? Has there been physical violence? Has there been uh, drug abuse? Um, and it goes through all these. And I, the last five, and I thought, check, 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 check. You were 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. Oh, my word. The odds of me even having a somewhat normal life were pretty much slim to none. And I remember I turned to my teaching partner and I thought, holy hell, I shouldn't be here. How in the world have I done this? And it came back to those people and those moments in my life that gave me hope. Hope is so powerful. Yeah. And we can give it and we can take it out of people's lives. And for me, it's like that has been a mission. How can I give other people hope? And, um, and that's made all the difference, I think, is those relationships, those people that invested in me and coming back to that. Um, and the difference we can make in another person's life. That is, that is, those are powerful words and, and especially powerful for you to be able to connect with youngsters who are going through things. Pretty much you've been through everything every kid has ever been through, <laughs> um, maybe even magnified so. And, and when a kid feels connected, you know, to an adult who, who has kind of been through the same things. It's, it, it's a big deal. Yeah. It's a big and, deal for them. And the importance of the role model. And that's why I take that so seriously too. That was another thing is maybe there were people that I didn't know really well, but there were role models. And I yeah. thought, how has this person been able to do this incredible thing? Mm -hmm. And if they're able to, then it makes you feel like, well, maybe then I can also dream those big dreams. Uh, one moment in particular that really was one of those life-changing moments for me is I was 12 and by some miracle, this poor girl grew up on welfare, spent time in the foster care system, had made it to nationals for judo. And you started doing judo very young. Very young. Um, I was five 
And I was in my first tournament when I was six. And the only reason I could do that, because we did not have the money, um, is, again, a sensei that said, Let's, this kid's got potential. And I'm sure that my dad probably did not pay for my lessons, <laughs> but he made it work. And, um, and that was one of the wonderful things that my dad did do is he really exposed us to all kinds of different physical activity. And he found a way. I mean, I remember him making deals of like, can I help you clean the dojo afterwards? Or cool. I'm going to sell this or sell that and help pay for this. So he, that was one thing that he, that I just am so grateful for is that he found a way to expose us to all that and have us experience all that. And then, you know, you kind of find your way in things that are kind of um, your strengths and your, that kind of play to your strengths and talents. And judo was just one of those. And did you um, love it? I did love it. Uh And what I didn't know at the time though, is that the life lessons in judo that you learn are what carried me through as well. And that sensei that invested in me. I mean, you literally, get knocked down in judo thrown. I mean, the goal is to throw your opponent (laughs) as hard as you can on their back. The flatter, the harder you throw them, the better. And then there's chokes and there's submissions and there's arm bars. And so you literally have to learn how to pick yourself up. Mm -hmm. And that was the epitome of my life growing up. Knock down, well, pick yourself up. All you have to do is pick yourself up one more time than you get knocked down. And so it was a constant um, cycle of that. However, Man, it makes you tough. When, <laughs> when, when you were young and you were going through this live object lesson and being knocked down, <laughs> did you did you at the time put those things together? I think it to really have the insight of it, it takes time. Yeah. And as you're an adult, you look back and go, wow, what a difference that sport made in my life. But there, it does make you tough in the fact that, I mean, when things were hard, it was like you have this confidence like, I've been here before. I've been knocked down and I've gotten myself up. I've struggled through something and gotten through to the other side. Yeah. So that idea is ingrained in you that, yeah. you know, something hard comes and it's like, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Right. That you have the strength and the confidence to know I'm going to get through this. So I think that was definitely something that carried over in a life. But I don't think you ne- I necessarily had the insight of how powerful that was until later. Yeah. And then you realize like, wow, that really made a huge difference. Those lessons that I was learning, those little seeds that are planted yeah. uh, when you do things that are hard. That and carried that you through yeah. as a youngster. Yeah. So when did you realize that you were really good at judo? <laughs> you know, even early on getting in these tournaments, I was having a lot of success and it was fun. And, um, you know, I was going against boys, going against girls. And um, <laughs> it was just, I was having a blast. And, you know, and a lot of times I would bump up and do harder age groups or harder weight classes just to get some challenge. And so it just came really naturally. I mean, I think I'm just a fighter. And so part of it was wired that way. And I think part of it was learned Mm -hmm. and that I needed to be to survive is I was a fighter. And so I'd get out there and just scrap. I mean, the epitome of like a little pit bull and and just attack and get after it. And um, and it was just a fitting sport for me. And then also just the relationship like with that that I had with my sensei was a really special, unique relationship. Absolutely. Are you still in contact with him today? He's passed away. Okay. Um, but I definitely uh, contribute a lot of where I'm at to those moments as a kid, which seems crazy because I guarantee you neither of us really realized 
the impact that those little lessons he was teaching me would have. Yeah. Um, and I have stayed in contact with his kids, which is pretty cool. Oh, I love that. Yeah. But one one moment in particular, and this is the power uh, that we can have in each other's lives, is um, after making it to judo nationals and um, I'm sitting up on the podium and of course no one's there. I have no family there, no friends there. It's just me. And um, I'm standing on the first place spot and the second and third place girls are there. Hold and on, I'm holding on. this massive you, trophy. You, you have just downplayed a huge accomplishment in your life. <laughs> like, like you just jumped from, yeah, I was doing good to uh, let's just frame this up a little bit better. <laughs> okay. okay. You're 12 years old. You're in the Tacoma Dome. Yes. And you are you are in a national tournament for your for judo and you just won. Yes. <laughs> okay. I just I just want to set that up a little better. Thanks for tooting my horn for me. <laughs> like this is what successful people people who have accomplished big things. You guys do this all the time. You're like, so then when I was 12 I won nationals and then I went and got a burger and I talked about my dream, you know. And it's just like, whoa, back up a second. <sighs> Mrs. Zimmerman, what? Yeah. So, okay. All right. I just want my audience to catch okay. up with what just happened. You're a 12-year-old yes. national champion. Yeah. And first of all, honestly, I sh I really, it was a miracle that I even qualified for nationals. And then being in nationals, I mean, it was. Why was it a miracle that you qualified for nationals? I just, you know, I had sensei, but I did not have, like, looking around at nationals. You had people there training in facilities that are getting ready for the Olympics. You have people with trainers, coaches, senseis, a whole team of people getting them there to nationals. And I literally was at nationals. My sensei was there, but he also had a couple other athletes. So he was in and out. And so really left there on my own to figure this out. That's incredible. That just blows my mind. So, I mean, yeah. So first of all, I shouldn't have even been there and I definitely should not have won nationals. <laughs> I mean, you talk about if someone likes an underdog, all right, here you go. This is the epitome of an underdog. This is like, this is like when we see a professional athlete's bio and it was like his dad played in the NBA. <laughs> and so he grew up his whole life in all these elite camps and yes. these AAU teams. And it's like, well, of course he's in the NBA. He's got you know, he got the perfect genes and he had the most elite coaching in the world his whole life. Of course he's here. Mm -hmm. But that was not Sandy Zimmerman. No, Sandy not even close. wasn't even supposed to be in judo <laughs> class because nobody was really paying for it. Yeah. And, you know, and then by some miracle, you know, she continues to just excel and excel. And f you call yourself a fighter, fight. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, she's standing on the podium as a 12-year-old national champion. And, and inside you're just, you're just a broken little girl who's had all of this trauma that you're dealing with. Yeah, it was definitely um, mixed emotions wow. standing on top of that podium. You know, part of me, I was, I was damn proud of myself well, in that moment, right here. <laughs> I was the national judo champion. Um, however, part of me was also really sad <laughs> because in big moments, you want people to celebrate with you. Yeah. And so there I was on the podium with these mixed emotions, you know, proud of myself, but it was all sad that there was nobody there. And um, no, your parents weren't there. No. Your family wasn't there. No. You had nobody there but your sensei. Yeah. Why wasn't your family there? Um, I think it's just a testimony to kind of the, the dysfunction in the house. Sure. Um, and also, though, I mean, dad's working three jobs, mm. trying to put food on the table for all of us. Your family's in survival mode, yes. basically. And and attending a judo tournament, as big as it was, was not on the 
the list of things, you know, it wasn't the fire that needed to be put out as yeah. crazy as that sounds. No, I get I it. I mean, as a parent now, I like can't even imagine missing that. Right. I mean, I can't even imagine missing a little game down at the warehouse, let alone nationals for something that big. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. But I guess part of uh, life is what you choose to focus on and what your mindset is. And even in that moment, it was just crazy. So I'm sitting up there. I'm watching the second and third place girls and they're, they're surrounded by oh, all their coaches, coaches their families. Oh, yeah. So proud. Like I could see they were so proud of them taking picture after picture after picture. And I remember just thinking, gosh, can we be done with the pictures? Like I'm up there smiling. And, and, um, I don't even have a picture from that day. Oh my gosh. I don't even have a picture from that day. Um, but what changed my life is when I got down off that podium and I remember going over to Sensei and he, and he comes up to me and these are the words that would change my life forever. Um, is he said, Sandy, you could go to the Olympics. And I remember blushing at his words, which seems like such a weird reaction. Um, and I remember feeling really embarrassed and going over, Sandy, you could go to the Olympics. And I remember thinking, no, Sensei, girls like me don't dream dreams of going to the Olympics. We just try to get through today without getting hit or yelled at. Uh, we just try to get through today and hopefully not go to bed hungry. We don't dream dreams of going to the Olympics. But as that thought, here's the power of people's words. Kept playing in my head over and over, Sandy, you could go to the Olympics. Sandy, you could go to the Olympics. And as I heard it over and over, I finally got to the point where I was like, maybe, maybe Sensei's right. Maybe it doesn't matter where I come from. Maybe it doesn't matter what I've gone through. Maybe it doesn't matter what I'm currently going through. Maybe Sensei's right. Maybe we can all dream big dreams. And since that moment, it has totally changed my mindset as of dreaming these incredibly big, impossible dreams. And now I've made it a habit in my life because I'll be honest with you, I... um. I'm not the most talented. I'm not the smartest. I am definitely not the strongest. I mean, I'm really strong. I, I got big muscles. <laughs> I see biceps. I know they're strong. <laughs> but there are a lot of people way smarter, way too more talented, way stronger at me that has not been able to do some of the incredible things that I have been able to do. And it is just because I am willing to stick with things longer than what most people are willing to do. Isn't, isn't that the great excuse, though? I mean, that's the, that's the excuse that we use for not following our dreams. Somebody's better. Somebody's mm -hmm. faster. Somebody's smarter. Somebody has better coaches. Somebody has better parents. Somebody has more money. That's those, you know, and then we let all those fears and doubts just infiltrate our dreams and they just grab them and they drag them underwater. Yeah. And I think that's the, the biggest takeaway for anybody is that the conversations that we have in our head, the mindset that we have is the most powerful tool. You know, that is the start of every big dream is what voices are you going to listen to? What voices are you going to feed your soul with? And those are the ones that are powerful. And which ones are you going to put blinders on to? And if we can master that mindset of, I mean, I feel like so many times people limit themselves. We, our dreams and goals are nowhere near what is actually possible for each of us. And if we will not put those limits, if we will dream something, because I will tell you all of the things that I've dreamed, people 
thought I was crazy for dreaming. People thought I was crazy. There's no way this little girl's going to win nationals in judo. Really? It's impossible? Let's go do it. And then it's become habits. Like, you know what? When judo abruptly stopped and we moved and I didn't have a dojo, I set it out to another big dream. I thought, I want to play at the Division One level. I want to play basketball at the Division One level. And I cannot begin to tell you when I said that how many people thought I was crazy They're like, and Sandy, thought it was I don't know impossible. If you know this, but you're five six yes. and you weigh eighty pounds. <laughs> like, girls like you don't play college ball. I can't believe how many times mm-hmm. I heard that. Oh man, I bet. I can't. And but what it came back to is that moment with Sensei, and I thought, you know what? I've been here before. And Sensei told me that anyone can dream a big dream, and so I thought. If I want to play Division One basketball, then I put in the hard work, and I'm going to make that happen. And I did. It was. I mean, I'm not telling you I did it because I dreamed, just dreamed it. It was a lot of hard work, almost an obsession of how can I make this dream come true? How can I make this happen in my life? And so what's so crazy is you? it's these voices in your head, though, I think that is the biggest part in what we choose to listen to and what we choose not to listen to and the voices that play in our head. How do you, how do you mute out? I'm thinking of shoulder angels right now. Right? <laughs> yes, it's like, absolutely I mean, like that. That's what it is. It's, it's, it's this guy like, that. like, Sandy, you're nuts. You're five, six. You'll never, you'll never go and play ball at Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. You know, those girls are bigger, faster and stronger. And this one over here was like, you can do anything you want. Your little, I, I imagine him, he's shaped like your dojo, you know, he sound, sounds yeah. like kind of like your dojo. How, how do you do it? How do you, how do you focus in on the one that has given you the message of hope and, and tune out the one that is telling you you're not, you're not good enough. Yeah. For me, these two little voices, and that's funny that you say it like that. It's like on one shoulder, I have this, um, girl who grew up on welfare and spent time in the foster care system. And that's on one shoulder. And on this shoulder, I have the 44 year old badass woman that I've become. Yeah. And those are the two that I struggle between. And um, if I'm being completely honest, I still do. And it is still a struggle to listen to the right voice. However, the more that we pursue those big dreams and the more that we practice and learn to listen to the right voice, the better we get at it. Am I perfect at it? No. There are many times where that is still a struggle and I have to go back and like be enough aware of what's going on in those conversations. Um, and I think part of that and learning to listen to the right voice is slowing down. And if anything, the pandemic we should take from us is slow down, slow down and have those still quiet moments where we can hear the right voice and we can navigate that and listen to the right voice. You know, I think slowing down, um, having just silence. I mean, how many of us just sit in silence with our own thoughts or take the time to journal and slow down where you're having to write it down? And I think those are definitely things that I have taken from all of this and I'm learning to navigate, but I still have moments where it is really a struggle in times when I want to just hit myself upside the back of the head and go, Sandy, listen to the right voice. Um, And so it's um, continually, and I think it will always be a work in progress that I listen to the woman that I have become. And, um, And I think the more though that we put ourselves out there and we put ourselves in situations that are challenging, the, the better we get 
at navigating those. And we build confidence in that I can listen to the right voice. So that would be some advice is how we get better at it is just by doing it. And sometimes we're still going to mess up. We practice. Yeah. You want to get better at your, your jump shot? Yep. You practice it. And that we don't beat ourselves up when we don't listen to the right voice. Yeah. That we give yeah. ourselves grace, just like we would give. It's so easy to give everybody else grace around us, I think. Yeah. And it's so hard to give ourselves grace. Yeah, you're going to screw up sometimes. Mm-hmm. Learn from it. Put it behind you. Press on. And... Um, I think that has been really important in this journey because it has, it's not been an easy road. Even now, um, you know, in all the work that I've done and so much has gone in, I still have a lot of growth to do. Um, but getting better at it is the point. How do I get better at that? And um, continually just always wanting to grow and to learn. And, you know, you don't do that being comfortable. Yeah. If, I, if my goal was comfort, I would sit in a chair and watch A&W from my couch. My goal is not comfort in life. My goal is to grow and learn. And the only way we do that is to get into the fire, to take chances. I mean, every time I get up there, I could possibly fail in front of millions of people. Yep. But I'm willing to do that because I want to grow and I want to learn. And I know whether I go out on the first obstacle or whether I hit the buzzer, I am going to come out the other end of this better. And I think that's the mindset. It's the journey. It's the journey. It's the journey. Do I have big goals? Yes. Is it fun to hit buzzers? Absolutely. <laughs> it's a blast to hit a buzzer. But my main goal is to grow through the journey. Who I become is more important than what I accomplish. And that is a reminder that I tell myself every time I get out there. Do I always remember it? And do I always nail it? And do I always listen to that right voice? No. Uh, we need that quote on the wall right now. <laughs> Who you become is more important than what you accomplish. Absolutely. Sandy Zimmerman. Somebody make a meme of that right now and put it on the internet. I hope that there was a point in the show where I said that, and I hope they put that on there because it it's is beautiful. so important. Beautiful. I mean, I do have big dreams and goals with A&W, but that is the epitome of what I want is what happens to me and the growth that I've had in the journey. It is It is such great <laughs> advice you know, listen to the voice in your head that is steering you forward, not mm-hmm. the one that is generating fear and doubt in your in your heart and your soul. Mm-hmm. I love that. OK, so <laughs> I, I would love to talk all about how you ended up at Gonzaga. Um, but but I want to fast forward to what I think is is one of the greatest obstacles that you have overcome, um, at least in recent history. Yeah, I can't say that to you because you've overcome <laughs> ridiculous stuff. But uh so, so you, as the story goes, you and your family are channel surfing. Um, this is what, four or five years ago. And you guys come across American Ninja Warrior and, and all of a sudden this, this idea starts to populate in your mind about competing. You, you say that at, you found out at some point that there was no mom that had ever completed the course. Mm-hmm. How, how did you, first of all, how did you know that? That's a funny thing to know about the show. You know, you absolutely know the facts, especially with the women, oh, um, yeah. because those are such huge milestones. First of all, there's not a lot of women um, compared to how many men mm-hmm. are in the sport. And there's definitely not very many women that can do some of the hardest obstacles. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in watching the show, um, you hear like, OK, here's the first woman. I mean, there really okay. honestly had only been before me 12 women that even have 
completed a course and hit a buzzer. Oh, it was already That's, a very short oh, list. Oh, it was only You're 12. Like, oh, it was a bunch of 25-year-olds. Exactly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> Mostly, you know, really young women, no kids. Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of them, ninja was their life. That's what they were doing, maybe working in a ninja gym. And that was their whole focus was training for the show and doing competitions. And so the list was already very short. So I knew there was only 12 women. And yes, most of them much younger. In fact, most of them, I could be their mother, <laughs> which was a funny thing going into this season. There were several girls that I'm like, I could be your mother. Like we're competing alongside of each other. And uh, that point when I heard that no mom had hit a buzzer, I thought, wow, here we're going into 11 years. This show has been on air. 11 years and no mom has ever hit a buzzer. I thought, we need to get a mom up that wall and we need to get a mom to finish this course. And I thought, I'd love to be that mom. So, <laughs> so I thought, here's another impossible dream. You know how many people, when I first said, I'm going to do American Ninja Warrior and I would like to be the first mom to hit a buzzer. People literally laughed. Oh, I'm sure they did. Oh, like, like, really? Sandy, do you know how old you yes. are? Number one. <laughs> Number two, you have no ligament in one of your thumbs. Yes. You know, like all these reasons that oh, there's no way. A long list, a long Where list. Where are you going to train? Yeah. How are you going to do this? Of why I shouldn't. And no background in gymnastics or rock climbing, which right. is what most of those ninjas have at least a background in. So no, the list was very long of reasons why this was ridiculous and impossible, which made it even more enticing for me. <laughs> and that's, this is really cool. I love this part of the story because you really had no background doing this sport. You didn't have the years of training of upper body strength, mm -hmm. like gymnasts or something like that. And, and out of this grew all of these things that have kind of defined your life in the last five years. Yeah. There, particularly your kind of a wild theme. backyard. <laughs> well, here, how, how American Ninja Warrior started was I went out, so our kids have this rundown old playset and little monkey bars across the back. And I thought, wow, if I'm going to really do this American Ninja Warrior thing, I better just see if I can hang because you don't do that in basketball. You wait, don't do wait. that in the other sports. Were, were you like, I'm going to do this, so I'm going to start hanging? Or you're like, I wonder how hard it is to hang from monkey bars. A little bit of both. Because <laughs> I thought, what have I got myself into? But here's the problem. I had already said it out loud that I want to go and I want to try this American Ninja Warrior thing out. So once I uh, say it out loud, I'm kind of, I'm crazy enough and I get, I just can't let it go until yeah. it happens. Okay. And so, and it has, it wasn't an easy journey. I mean, I got on those monkey bars and the first time I could barely do little kid monkey bars and I'm just struggling through. I'm like, how do kids do this? Like my shoulders, everything took so much effort. I barely made it to this little kid <laughs> monkey bar. And I thought, wow, what did I get myself into? <laughs> Not only that, you watch the show and it's this way with any world-class athlete. You watch them perform and you're like, wow, they make it look so easy. Yeah. Oh, like, totally. You think... I can do that. Like, I think I can do that. Me? I'll train. I, I think if swing I train. back and forth and jump the next bar. Like, how hard can it be? Well, and that was the epitome of my first season on. I got out, and honestly, I went in so naive, and I thought, I could totally do this. I could totally finish this course, get that buzzer my first season. And I get out there, and I quickly discover, first of all, the nerves – the first obstacle bounding back and forth. <laughs> Legs don't work well when they're jiggly. <laughs> so that and it's something I thought, wow, I had no idea. I've been in so many pressure situations athletically, and I had no idea. This was a whole new ball game. Cameras, the production of mm -hmm. it. I mean, 
That was a whole nother level. I had no idea. So just, I was thrilled. I got through the first obstacle. I said, okay. So I get to the second obstacle. I'm like, I, my goal was to get through the course. And I really naively thought I'm going to do this my first season. And I get on that second obstacle and, and I remember seeing it. It was like, I'm like, that's like a swing. You swing forward, you pull your legs up, you swing back, you pull them back. How ridiculous. That's so easy. So I get on there and I quickly discover that is not how that goes. I was pulling my legs forward and my timing was off. And then I was pulling back and I was just killing my momentum. And it was one where it was like a trapeze. Well, I'd never been on a trapeze. They don't have those on the basketball court or the judo. <laughs> so I am just desperately on the middle of this thing going, oh my gosh, this is way harder than I thought. And I couldn't figure it out. And I thought, I have to go for it. My momentum's dying. I went for the big jump to the cylinder and missed it. And as I hit the water, I was, thank God there's water because... I did not want to cry on national TV. Mm-hmm. And I was so disappointed, so disappointed in myself. And I felt like I had let so many, let myself down, let so many other people down that had joined me on this already, that had high expectations as well. And it was all I could do. I thought, I cannot cry on national TV. And luckily you hit water. And so they give you a towel and I got out and it was all I could do to keep it together. And I remember going back to the house that we had rented for that week and I went back and I closed the door because I did not want my kids to see this. And I laid down on the bed and I cried. And I cried. And I had this moment of just feeling really sorry for myself. Mm-hmm. And um, but the next day I got up and I Googled. I said, where's the nearest park? And I went out there and I started doing pull ups and I started training. I thought. This is the start of my comeback because that is not how my American Ninja Warrior journey is going to end. And so um, I did have to go through that grieving, though, of just feeling like I let myself and everybody else down at that point. From the time that you said, I want to do this to that first televised or, you know, recorded Mm -hmm. competition, how how far, how long was that? Um, I had been training for probably not very long, maybe nine months, six to nine months. And, and training when I say that is mostly just getting stronger because I didn't have ninja obstacles to work on. So, I mean, you talk about the long list of reasons why this shouldn't work. I didn't have ninja obstacles. And so we did start to build stuff in the backyard. Um, but it was a slow, gradual build. Um, but what I did do when I came back from that season, the first thing I did when I got home, um, is a testimony to my obsessive craziness, but it's helped me achieve some cool things is I got home and I called up one of my buddies who's a contractor. He builds houses. Mm -hmm. And I said, I need a trapeze in the backyard. And he laughs, of course. (laughs) He's like, Sandy, I usually build houses. I said, yeah, I know, but I need a trapeze. I went out on a trapeze because I didn't know how to do it. And I don't want that to happen again. If I'm going to go out, I want to go out in a blaze of glory. Like my forearms are pumped. I just gave it my all and I couldn't do it. I don't want it to go out because I didn't have the skill work for it. And so he's crazy enough to help me. And he came and built this huge mainframe. I got my trapeze. And so it's kind of grown from there. And now I have, you know, a lot of the skill sets that you see in the show I can work on in the backyard and the community gets to come enjoy it as well. Um, So it's been definitely like a a co-op back there in people joining me on this journey and people that joined me, though, way before I hit the buzzer. And I think that's what has so much. That's the testimony to the people in the community of Spokane. Yeah. Is that it didn't take me hitting a buzzer for them to get on board yeah. and say, this is cool. What she's doing, the message she's sending. I want my kids to hear this. I want my kids to experience it. That was well before any of the buzzers. 
And that's that's the people of Spokane for you. And so this thing has grown and grown and grown and it continues to grow um, because of this community. And I get to benefit from it. And I get to train on it. And other people get to come and enjoy this sport and learn the life lessons that I have taken from this sport. So that is so awesome. But but between then and now. We had a gigantic catastrophe happen. Yes. Well, second season, mm-hmm. thinking, okay, now I've got a little bit more skill set and uh, some bad luck. And sorry, your first season was season eight? Yes. So season eight went out on the second obstacle. Right. Okay. Uh, Which, I mean, you act like that was some kind of like huge failure. Well, the rest of us are like, wait a minute. You're telling me that in nine months, this non-gymnast went from watching to being on the show. Uh, it's, an, it's incredibly impressive regardless um, uh, okay. So, so then season nine, season comes nine, around. I'm like, okay, I've got more of the skill set going into this. We had built more obstacles in the I backyard. <laughs> yes. I have a trapeze. I am not going out on that again. Well, a little bit of bad luck. I got an obstacles, but what a lot of people that knows I, um, way back in high school, I had torn a ligament, in my thumb. And so this thumb, I could never grab things if they were really wide. It didn't affect Ninja a lot unless it was an obstacle that was really wide and your thumb had to be open because I had no, like I couldn't pick up jars. They would just fall. I had no pressure Oh, interesting. because I was missing this ligament um, on my thumb and it never really affected me. I never really fixed it. It was way back in high school. And I happened on the second obstacle in season nine, American Ninja And you're right handed. Yes. So that's another reason. Well, it was my left thumb, but it really, it was this, I happened to get an obstacle. So some of it is a little bit of luck too, that had a super wide opening Mm -hmm. and I just slipped off of it. There I go. Second season out on the second obstacle. And there were many times that I thought, what am I doing at this age? Is this really what I should be doing? And why am I doing this? And this is really, maybe I've bitten off a lot more than I can and chew. these are doubts you're having all along or after you? After I fell again. So the second year in a the row, second, year, second obstacle. I'm like, and then also the feeling of, why would I feel so passionate that this is right where I'm supposed to be, right where I'm supposed to be doing and continue to fail? Oh, great question. Like it just, it made no sense. Right. I thought, why would I have this so strong in my heart that this is where I'm supposed to be, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, if I'm just going to go and keep failing? Yeah. So I fail my first season, fail my second season early. So disappointing. Third season, major injury, multiple um, surgeries needed on my knee. So then that's when the really dark days came. And I really thought, this is ridiculous. I'm too old for this. Why am I doing this? But I couldn't shake This something in my, so deep in my soul was saying, this is where I want you. This is what I want you to be doing. And this is the right time. And I just, it got me through, I think, some of those really dark days because there were so many days when I wanted to quit. And so many days when I thought, this is ridiculous. Why am I doing this? And then I just kept hearing, this is not how your journey is going to (laughs) end. This is not how you hold on. There's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Just hold on. And then I kept going back. It's like, Boy, I've been through a lot of crap in life. And I knew I could get through this, but there are times, because I'm human, that I just feel like this is more than I can handle. <laughs> You've given me more than I can handle in life. Yeah, and, and, and I'm tired. There were times where I felt like just arguing with myself or this voice in my head going, I am tired of having to be strong. I am tired of having to fight. Why does this keep happening? And it was happening my NW journey. Failure. 
failure, injury. But that day came when the doctor said, Sandy, you're released. And I remember driving home and I had to stop and pull the car over the side of the road. And I just cried. And I thought, this is the day that's been keeping me holding on. The little light at the end of the tunnel was the day the doctor would say you're released. And that was it. It had come. And I was just so overwhelmed when it hit me that I had to drive over because I couldn't even see. I was <laughs> crying so bad. And, and that's what started season 11, the comeback season. And again, though, going into season 11, you talk about this is all about timing. I had done so much growth through those three years leading up to this that come season 11, the place I was at mentally, I sat behind that start block and I remember my goals were much different. My first two seasons, I wanted to hit a buzzer and that's all I was thinking about. And how would it affect my life? How would it affect the people that are supporting me? And that was my mindset. But season 11 was different. I sat behind that block and I and um, I remember just saying this little prayer of, Lord, let me, my goal is to listen to the right voice. My goal is to listen to the right voice and to stay in the moment. Just take this one obstacle at a time, whether I fail in the first or hit the buzzer. But let help me to just navigate the voices and I will feel like I've been successful, which was such a different mindset from those other years. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting a little smirk on my face and just feeling like, Lord, I'm going to listen to the right voice today. I have no idea how this is going to go. And I could fail miserably. But that was the goal. And so going in up those stairs and staying at that plumber was just one obstacle at a time. What's the first one? All right. Right, left, right. Grab the rope and swing. Let's just focus on that and listen to the person that you have become. And um, it wasn't until... um, I grabbed the top of the warp wall, and then I was like, holy hell, I did this. <laughs> I did it. I finished this course, and I'm going to go hit that buzzer. And it wasn't until that moment that I thought about the buzzer. It was just thinking about listening to the right voice and listening, just focusing on the process of what was ahead of me and what needed to be done to do it. So such a different mindset. But here's what's so crazy about that is had I hit a buzzer – season eight, season nine, had I not got hurt and hit one season 10, I never would have had the impact that I've been able to have hitting it on season 11. So it's all about timing. Because in seasons eight, nine and 10, I wasn't mentally in the place that I could share my story. And for years, I had felt this nudge way back in college, this is 20 plus years ago, I had felt this voice, I'm, I'm on the GU campus behind the Martin Center, and I hear this voice say, Sandy, share your story. And at that point in my life, boy, I was like, hell no. And I shoved that voice down. I stomped it down as fast as I absolutely could. And I thought, no way am I sharing my story. And this was over 20 years ago. And, you know, sometimes a couple days would go by, weeks would go by, months would go by, and I would occasionally hear this voice again. Sandy, share your story. And every time I would hear it, I would have a comeback. No, I don't want to share my story. It's sad. It's painful. I'm ashamed. People will judge me. People will run. I literally thought people would run when they heard my story. And 
I just would shove that voice down and shove that voice down. And it wasn't until I had had all this growth and this learning in Ninja Warriors, almost like therapy for me, which is crazy getting on obstacles that that could be therapy. But I was growing and learning so much by putting myself out there. And it wasn't until leading up into Stephen 11 that I had mentally got to the point where I was at a, I could share my story and have it make an impact and difference. And I remember so vividly that voice that would occasionally come up over 20 years, Sandy, share your story. And then I paused because normally it was like shove it down mm-hmm. quickly and, and dismiss it. And I paused and I listened to it for a second long enough to hear the second part, which was, but Sandy, it has a happy ending. Sandy, it has a happy ending. And I thought it does. It does. It has been full of ups and downs, and it will continue to be. But my story has a happy ending. Woo. And now, why I get emotional, I'll tell you what. You want to know what you should do with your life? Your why should make you cry. And that's why I'm crying. Because it took over 20 years for me to get to the point where I can use my story to do good, where I can use my story to make an impact on others' lives. May it bring other people hope that whatever they're going through, they can get to the other side and, um, and encourage other people and empower other people to help those around us. There's so many lessons in my story that people can take from it. And to finally be at the place, you talk about timing, I never would have had this impact had I had success in those early years. So now I look back in that and I'm like, thank God I didn't hit a buzzer in season eight or season nine or season 10. I never thought in a million years I would ever be thankful for failure and thankful for injuries. But had I had that success then, I never would have had the impact that I've been able to have and to use my platform for good. And so um, if anybody is wondering, boy, I wonder what my purpose, my why in life is, boy, it should make you cry. Man. And you know you've hit exactly what you're supposed to be doing in life. That is such beautiful insight, <laughs> Sandy. And and there's there's like a hundred parables that we can draw <laughs> from, you know, from your story and the way it unfolded. But, but the wisdom to look back at what you have been through and say, I'm better because of it. And, and, and I have grown stronger as a result of my trials and my failures. And, and yet you continue to dream the big dream. It would have, I mean, uh, I can't even imagine. I mean, the voices were already there in your head, you know, saying you can't do it. You can't do it. And then your knee blows up and then your other thumb blows up and then you have a bunch of surgeries and then you go back. And you perform better than ever. And, and I now, had a purpose at that point, though. Oh, man. It was different. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, so I asked you this before, but I want to I wanna have it on this podcast. Sandy, what is the voice? What is that? Because yours has had a very deliberate message your whole life. And it feels like it is... You know, and not again, not that your story's over, but it feels like it has come to complete a circle, at least for you to see at this point. Mm -hmm. 
And, and what is that voice? And how do we, how do we find that voice in our own lives? Mm-hmm. So if I can be completely transparent and completely open about this, you know, I grew up going to church mm-hmm. um, and I got very, I think, mixed signals and it made me very confused because there was some wonderful people in the church and some not so wonderful people mm-hmm. and people that I would consider have, that um, were Christians but did evil, mm-hmm. evil things. Mm-hmm. And so it makes it very confusing um, growing up in that or growing up in a church that was very black and white. There's right there's wrong, mm-hmm. there's good, there's evil. And I guess as I have grown and I have learned and I've evolved and just been in the world now for 44 years, I feel like I have a lot of questions. And I think there's a lot more gray than what was presented to me in that particular church setting. And um, and I guess I feel like I think God's confident enough to deal with my questions and my wonderings and my doubt Uh and that it is a work in progress that Mm -hmm. I am still trying to figure out because it, you know, I think the word religions kind of turns me off a bit, Mm -hmm. but I know I have definite faith. I have had this guiding, you know, whether it's the Holy Spirit, whether it's God, whether it's my intuition or my gut instinct, I'm figuring that out. But there is no doubt in my mind that there is a God out there. There's been way too many coincidences in my life to not believe that. There's been so many things that have happened along the way, things that have come into my life and the timing of people that have come to my life or events in my life, things that have happened where maybe at the time I didn't understand it, but in looking back, my mind is blown by the timing of the people and things that have happened in my life. So my faith um, is a work in progress. And um, I think with those voices that I hear, whether you know, it is the Holy Spirit, whether it is my gut or my intuition, I'm navigating those things and figuring that out. It is so important for us to be still and be quiet and to come back to what I was saying earlier is it's so easy, especially now with all the technology to just busy, busy, busy. Mm-hmm. You constantly have something playing in your head and to just be still and quiet with yourself mm-hmm. so we can hear those voices and they're so powerful. And there's been so many times when those voices have have guided me and I've not always understood at the moment hearing them where they were going to end up. It's like the, the one about share your story. 20 years, God had to be patient with me. <laughs> I mean, and it was never a pushy, Sandy, share your story. It was always a calm, quiet, gentle, like, Sandy, share your story. And I was the one like, no, I mean... 20 years of that. Yeah. But then the timing was just perfect. And 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 I think our timing is not always the same as maybe what God's timing is. Mm-hmm. And luckily he's very patient because it took me a long time to get there. Um, and you know, and I'm still a work in progress. Jeez, there's so much I still have to work through and uh, things that bubble up as you get healthier that you realize aren't healthy. Yeah. And so I'm still um, having so many of those things happen. Um but the quietness and the journaling and taking those moments, I think, are so important. You you talk about rest and journaling being a really critical part to your, you know, kind of 
you know, your Zen or, you know, mm-hmm. bringing yourself together. Um, I find that really fascinating. Um, I think with maturity comes these realizations that going a hundred miles an hour all the time is, uh, eventually going to run into a wall. Yeah. And so well, and I, I think that. growing up how I did, honestly, it was just, how do you dig yourself out of this hole? You work hard, you work hard, you work hard, you work hard. That's how you make a better life for yourself. And that has worked for me. I mean, if, if I want to make a better life, if I want to change my family tree, you work your tail off mm-hmm. and you do that. But what was different about going into season 11 is I really realized the importance um, that it also takes discipline for someone driven like me to take off days, to have quiet moments that what, so a lot of people, for example, ask me, oh, what do you, what's your diet? What do you eat? Which is important. I eat healthy, but I'm not healthy. But what people aren't asking that they should is what is your mental diet? Yeah. Yeah. That's for what sure. the difference was between seasons eight, nine, and 10 and how I came into season 11. And f- what is your mental diet? What are you reading? Who are you listening to? Who are you surrounding yourself? What is feeding you mentally? And I, you know, I love podcasts. They are so powerful. Mm-hmm. I have a few that I listen to. I will listen to again. I will take notes when I listen to. I will mm-hmm. write those in my journal so I can continually reflect on those. And that can be different frame for different people. But me- what is your mental diet? I think that was the difference between those earlier seasons and the being in the right frame of mind for season 11. Um, but I think that's a question people got to ask themselves. That's really important. What is your mental diet? Oh, it's, it's such a great visual yeah. when you say it like that, you know, because you wouldn't, you wouldn't dream of eating, you know, garbage and, and, and having a lousy diet and then mm-hmm. trying to compete in an elite level. And, you know, and to think that the mental part of that, it, not just in what you're doing, but in what we're all trying to accomplish as parents, as teachers, as business owners and entrepreneurs, as church mm-hmm. leaders, as civic leaders, whatever we're doing, what are you filling your brain with all day long? Yeah. And it probably sucks. Yeah, I think it, and it's so easy to, to, I mean, I think we just have to be really intentional. Yeah. You know, we have to be so intentional. What are you listening? What are you watching on TV? Mm-hmm. What are you getting on the computer and watching? What is your mental diet like? And I think though, I mean, not to say that kind of like in real life with a, a diet, I, you can have a little bit of junk now and then in moderation. Yeah. And so kind of the same thing. If you have a show that you enjoy, that's maybe not a, you know, uh, you know what I mean? There's just some things we do for fun too, yeah. I guess is of the course. point. Mm-hmm. There's some things that maybe don't have that. This is going to grow my mental diet, but I think we do have to be intentional and aware of that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you just got done competing in season 12, <laughs> but we don't get to know the results until what, September 7th or whenever it kicks off. So American Enjoyers premiering September 7th on NBC and awesome. everyone needs to tune in. It is an incredible season. I mean, we we're one of the first shows to go back on air. And of course, like everything else in our lives right now, it's going to look different. Um, you know, we didn't have no an audience, audience, no live audience, which was, um, it was different, but you talk about being able to take something like that and it changes, but other good things come from it. And so as hard as it was to not have my family on the sideline, I mean, this is our jam. This is what our family does. All my kids love the sport. They've done A&W Junior. Well, in, um, season, my, in season 11, they were all there. Yes. With and this shirt on that yes, I'm wearing. And they've know? been a part of all this. They yeah. um, have been for all the shows. And so it was really hard going without them mm-hmm. and not having them there on the sideline. They did put them on these huge screens uh, live so they were there on the big screen, but it wasn't quite the same. 
but in their place, here's the whole make lemonade out of lemons thing is in their place, the ninja community, especially the women, just we bonded Mm -hmm. and we thought, you know what? And I, you know what, Sandy, your family isn't here, but we will step in their place. And I hope the show shows this part, but they lined my sideline and it was so empowering and encouraging to have these strong women, empowering women on my sideline, cheering me on and just so genuinely wanting me to do my best. And so good came from it as hard as it was and those bonds that I made with the people through these tough times. And that's kind of what we're doing in the pandemic. There's a lot of good that can come from this. Mm -hmm. You know, we kind of are in a little dark tunnel, I think, through this. But there's a light at the end of the tunnel. In fact, I think that light is really, really bright. And what we're going to take away from this experience um, is going to be incredible. And the people that we become through this hard time. But it's like anything else. When you're in the middle of a hard time, it sucks. Yeah. It pretty much sucks. Yeah. But if we get through this, we're going to look back on this and go, look what we can take from this. Yeah. Look how we can grow and learn from this and look how it has bonded different relationships and got our priorities straight and slowed us down. Mm-hmm. So much good is going to come from this. Fixate on the light during yeah. the dark times. Yeah. It is there. It is. Maybe small. <laughs> Listen to the voice that tells you that that's where you should be going. Yeah. That's the Sandy Zimmerman way. <laughs> Um, how can, how can we follow you? Tell us, tell us where you're at on social media, your website, mm-hmm. tell us, uh, tell my audience how we can cheer you on and what's going on. I would love all the support. I mean, Spokane's been incredible. Um, the whole world has been so amazing in their love and their support for me. Um, so I have a website, sandyzimmermanninja.com, and it has all my social links. Um, but I'm on Facebook. It's just an American Enjoy Facebook page. So I put stuff there. Also on Instagram and Twitter at, at Zimpossible. Um, but all the information can be found on my website. So if sandyzimmermanninja.com. And I keep everybody up to date, put some fun stuff on there for people. Um, you know, I think everyone's life could benefit from sprinkling a little ninja in it. Yeah. <laughs> the life lessons and the growth you can have, even if it's not you getting on obstacles, um, what you can learn from this community, from this sport um, is incredible. So I guess that's one of my goals, too, is just to sprinkle a little ninja in everybody's life um, because it's changed my life. I mean, I went from, you know, I was living a good life. It's not like I wasn't living a great life before I started my American Enjoy journey. Um, you know, I've been married for over 20 years. I have three incredible kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't living a great life because I still had so many walls up and I still was carrying around so much shame and guilt, which seems crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, things happen to you and you project it on yourself. And so to live life without that weight on my back, to live life without the walls. And I still revert back to that sometimes though. I won't lie. Mm -hmm. And I have to remind myself that 99% of people are good people and it's safe now. I'm safe now. Yeah. Back then I wasn't and right. I needed those walls to survive, but I'm safe now and I can let those down. I mean, I went and now I feel like I'm living a great life. I'm living my purpose. I'm getting to share my story is such a huge part of this for me. And now what's cool is I just get a little bigger platform yeah. to do that and yep. to reach lives. So it's so exciting for me to be able to do that. And I, that's why I love doing these podcasts. I've been changed by podcasts. Hmm. Um, you know, that's a great mental diet. There's so much good out there in these podcasts. And um, and so it's just so cool to think maybe somebody listening to this will take a little nugget from this. Yeah. And maybe it will give them the hope they need. Or maybe it will give them the courage to take that first step in their own 
big dream and journey for their life. Well, there's one thing that's for sure. Our, all of our mental diets could use a little more Sandy Zimmerman in it. That's for sure. And, uh, and when, oh. I'm, when I'm having a bad day, I'm going to climb up my virtual wall and I'm going to hit that buzzer and I'm going to flex my biceps. And, uh, and I'm going to remember, remember my conversation you know, that I had with you. you uh, thank you. Thank you for following your voice. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for taking the time out of your day uh, to, you know, to, to share with my audience. I'm, I'm really interested and excited to hear, you know, what their feedback is on this, mm-hmm. on this message. Yeah. So we're just totally, totally thrilled with you. We wish you luck. <laughs> we will wait in anticipation. Um, and uh, my last question for you is, <laughs> Uh, is about socks because this is yeah. a socks oh, podcast. Oh, you jumped the gun. I was going to make fun of you for that. I, I was going to give you a hard time. <laughs> I know. So I, I'll i start my, these are my socks. They were the most American Ninja Warrior looking socks Those that I could are amazing. Find. These are. Those are absolutely amazing. You've got stars on them. You can't see them. You're listening. That stars and they're red, white, and blue. They feel very American Ninja Warrior yes. to me. You, you, on the other hand, you're wearing really boring white socks. Yes. Which well, is kind of my fault. First of all, yes, I I am so grateful that I got to be here, but I'm not grateful that you didn't let me know about cool socks. (laughs) I'm going to hold that against you. Um, But I'm just impressed that I'm glad you called them white. (laughs) So they're at least somewhat clean. Thank God. So um, I'm glad they're at least clean. They are not fancy. Um, I do have some fancy socks. Mm hmm. but I save those usually for special occasions, which was totally would have been. But I, I didn't know I was taking my shoes off. I know. I, you know, now I, I now I owe Sandy a really cool pair of socks. Yeah. Well, sometimes in life, though, you just got to go with the T-shirt and jean type of philosophy. It's true. So I'm going with the the simple. Yeah. <laughs> and I in, you know, in your in your defense, I didn't even tell you that we do this podcast in our socks. Oh, man. As a symbol. So. <laughs> Anyway, so so sometimes you just got to, you know, go with the blue jeans and the normal white socks. And sometimes you got to have some socks that are fancy That's that right. fit the occasion. Well, I will tell you what I'm going to do, though, on my social media now is I'm going to go home and take a picture in some fancy socks. I'm going to post it and there I'm going to tag you in it. There we go. There we go. When this shows up tomorrow on the uh, on the YouTube page and on the Facebook page, I'll wait for that picture yep, of your fancy it's going socks. Up. <laughs> I love it. Thanks again, Sandy, yeah. for coming over and sharing your story. You bet. You're a true inspiration. You're a great American hero. And uh, we wish you luck in all of your big dreams. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Well, that wraps up our episode of the South (laughs) and Soul podcast. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Make sure you share and like and all that kind of good stuff. And follow Sandy on her journey on season 12 of American Ninja Warrior starting September 7th on NBC. All right. Thanks, Kelly. Over and out. The Socks and Soul podcast is a production of Ditto Film Media. If you enjoy this content, be sure to give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Join the conversation on Facebook at Socks and Soul Podcast.